I'm going to start with something that we all know very, very well. And this is going to be, um, we're going to start in verse 22. And this is actually something that Pastor has talked about a lot recently. And it fit right in with what I'm talking about today. Let's see, make sure I'm in the right chapter here. Okay, so they've just fed a whole bunch of folks with basically nothing and had a whole bunch of baskets left over. And so in verse 22, it says, And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battering by the waves, by the wind, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So they've already gone across. They're in the middle of, of this body of water, and apparently it's pretty stormy. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. So what I would really like to focus on right here is my pal Peter. I love Peter. The reason I like Peter, I mean, Apostle Paul is awesome. And you read all the things that he did. But Peter, see, Peter reminds me of who I would like to be, in a way. Because Peter never passed up an opportunity, did he? So you had all these guys in the boat. And so they see somebody come walking on the water. And if I try to put myself in that position, I'm thinking, this is very weird. I've never seen this before. And Peter, though, Peter is the only one who says, hey, is that you, Jesus? If that's you, you tell me to come. And so Jesus said, come. Now, all the other 11 people had the opportunity to come, right? They could have, but only Peter did. Why is that? Why is it that Peter was the only one to take advantage of that opportunity? And this has bothered me for years. And it's like, but then I look at the world and I look at people and I think people are usually afraid to do something that's outside of their comfort zone right, or outside of what they've ever experienced before. But Peter, Peter took that opportunity. And none of the 11 on the boat ever got to say, I walked on water, other than Peter. Peter did. Peter was the only one. And so I can imagine that spending time with Jesus, you had opportunities every day to do wonderful, amazing things and to learn amazing things. But I get the feeling that Peter was just soaking it up. And sometimes Peter jumped out there and did things that he shouldn't, like cutting off the ear of the Roman soldier. Okay, he was, he was a little enthusiastic about that one. But he was somebody who didn't turn down the opportunities that Jesus presented to him. And that's where we need to be, right? That doesn't mean that we always do them quite right. But if God is giving us opportunities, we need to know it, we need to recognize it, and we need to go for it. So, 
And Jonathan pointed out opportunities are everywhere. And that's true. But there are two things to consider. One, we might not see them. And two, sometimes we're not sure if they're for us. We've all been there, right? So if you think about opportunities, and I just kind of went and looked up the definition, and one of the definitions says it's a situation in which it is possible for you to do something you want to do. So an opportunity comes up for something that you would like to do. Or a good chance for advancement or progress. And that's usually how we think about opportunities, right? We think about it as, I have the opportunity to go do something I've always wanted to do, or I've got this opportunity to get um, a promotion at work. We always think of opportunity as being a good thing, which I guess is how we should look at it. But opportunities are really, really different for different people. You know, if one of you said, I have the opportunity to go live where it snows 15 feet of snow a year, I would say, good for you. That's not for me. You know, not for me. And there would be several people in here that if I said we have the opportunity to go teach a bunch of kids to use their faith eyes to see Jesus, some of us in here would go, yeah, that sounds awesome. And all the, all the, all the kids' church teachers just said, yeah. And all the other ones were like, no, 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 not for me. And that makes sense. And, you know, we have missionaries that we fund, and they go to other places, and they're just super excited about what they're doing. And for them, you know, a great opportunity might be talking about Jesus to a group of people who never heard of him before. That's really not my opportunity. I would happily give them money to go do it. But you know what? They know that's for them. I know it's not necessarily for me. So we all have different opportunities for us. Even when we have the opportunity to give here at church, we all give differently, right? Different amounts, different times. You know, you might get, I get paid once a month. So, you know, I tithe once a month. And so other people get, might get paid every week. So it's just all different. We also every day have the opportunity to choose things. We can choose to be happy every day. You know, we have opportunities to choose. We can choose healing. You know, that's a choice that we can make. We can choose love. So these are opportunities that we have. And they look different for each person. But when we think about where opportunities come from, most people don't really think about the genesis of that. You know, where do they come from? And as spiritual people, remember I'm, t I'm talking today to spiritual people, to people who are Christians. And so we love God and we know that He sends us opportunities, right? And so we know that those opportunities often come from our prayers, what we're talking to God about, um, our thoughts. Because the things that you are ruminating on, the things that you are thinking about in your mind, those are the things you're going to be paying attention to as you go through your daily life. And those thoughts can actually attract opportunities. 
you know, for good or bad, depending on what it is you're thinking about. Our expectations also play a role in our opportunities. If you don't think you're going to have any opportunities, well, then you're probably not going to get any. Right? It's, you know, our expectation needs to be God loves me and opportunities are gifts that he sends to me. And if we look at it in that way, then we're more likely to get those good opportunities that God is sending us and we'll be more successful with them. But prayer is super important in opportunities. And if you think of prayer as an incubator for opportunities, and I don't know if you've ever been in like an NICU or a NICU unit, you know, where the, the little bitty, the little bitty babies are, um, they often have incubators. And the thing about an incubator is it has the like perfect atmosphere and um, environment for growth. So if you have a child who maybe the internal organs haven't developed the way they should or they have a problem, an incubator is basically like a second womb, if you think of it that way. So they take and they put them in there and it gives them the time to complete their development. Well, prayer is sort of like that. If you've ever gone to God in prayer before, um, and you have an idea, or maybe you have a desire, and then as you continue to pray about it, it's almost like having an incubator, because you're talking to God about it, and you're thinking about it, and you're spending time in His Word, and you're in his presence. And the more that you experience that, it's like it's giving that opportunity time to grow and become what's right for you. And so prayer is super important in so many aspects of our lives. But I think that it is super important when it comes to attracting opportunities for each of us. I hope that made sense. But, you know, God wants to give us things, and a lot of times it's the, it's the moments we spend with him. It's the sitting in his presence, feeding on his word. That's what really determines what's going to happen in our lives. Although there are opportunities around us, we do need to remember, though, that not every opportunity does come from God. You know, the devil is out there, right? And he likes to try to get us to do things that we should not. You know, for instance, the Apostle Paul, back when he was Saul, he was persecuting and killing Christians. He thought that was what he should be doing, right? He thought he had the opportunity to rid the Jewish religion of these pesky Christians. But then he got straightened out and realized, hmm, it wasn't such a good thing, right? Um, but uh, this is in the Passion. It's in Ephesians 4.27. And it talks about don't, giving a, don't give a place to the devil. But I really like how it's worded in the Passion. And it says, don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. 
And he says, an opportunity. To, will he take the opportunity to manipulate you? Yeah. I mean, did he go to Jesus and just conveniently leave out some of the verses in the Bible trying to manipulate him? Yeah. And he said, you have the opportunity to do this. Why don't you raise up and just throw yourself down and the angels will get you? And it's like Jesus saw through that. So, yes, he will do that if we don't watch. Um, and this is actually in the Amplified, 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, well-balanced and disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. So we know that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So will he sometimes present you with an opportunity that perhaps is not the right thing for you? Absolutely. You know, we teach at a smallish university. And we have a number of students who live on campus. And so we have a lot of parking lots. And early part of this semester, we had a number of burglaries of cars. And so the student newspaper did a story about it, and I happened to be the advisor for the paper. And so we talked to people who had their cars burgled. We also talked with the campus police chief. And one of the things that we found was a lot of these cars that were burgled, they hadn't been locked. And so they actually had video of this unknown person in a hoodie going through a parking lot and he was just pulling on doors to see which ones opened up. Wow. Okay, so yeah. And you know, just go through and just take various things. Sometimes it was like Powerade, sometimes it was, you know, I don't know, just watches, things like that. But what was really amazing was this one student who we talked with who said it happened to him twice. It's like, dude, you didn't lock your car after the first time? Did he, did he make an opportunity there? He did. He did. He, he knew after the first time he should have locked his car door, but he didn't do it, so he got burgled again. Okay. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, oh, don't we do that? Don't we leave the door open for the devil? Yeah, sometimes we do. We say bad things. We say things that we shouldn't say. We, we talk about things. We have expectations that aren't right. You know? That's, leaving, that's the equivalent of leaving the door open. So don't do that. Be very, very careful. And the way to avoid that is really to seek first God's kingdom. You know, if, we, if our, it depends on what our attention is on. If our attention is on God and his kingdom, then we're not going to be leaving as many doors open as we might otherwise. So it really comes to renewing your mind and seeking God first. Be really careful not to leave any of the doors open. Which brings me to the next point, which is, how can we know these opportunities are actually from God? So this is from, um, this is from the Passion. It's from Psalm 37. 
And in, this is Psalm 37, verse 3 through 4. It says, keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure, feasting on his faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life and he will provide for you what you desire the most. Hmm. So this clearly says what I desire the most. If I make him my utmost delight and pleasure of my life, he's going to provide that for me. Yeah. So if you are focused on God and if if he is the pleasure of your life and I don't I don't know how to really describe that, but if spending time with God and feeding on his word and making your mind and your will and your emotions line up with his promises, if that's what you're feeding on, then he, your opportunities are coming from him, right? They're coming from him. So, and we obviously know that if it's a promise from God, it involves healing or um, protection, provision, those sorts of things, those are from God. So we can be sure of that. I remember um, that Miss Debbie used to talk about when you, you think you, want, you need to do something, but you're not sure about it. And she, she said that proceed with it unless you get that scratchy feeling. Yeah. Remember talking about the scratchy feeling? Yeah. yeah, and if you get that scratchy feeling, go pray about it some more. But otherwise, go with it. But, you know, watch out for the scratchy feeling. Yeah. Um, so the closer we walk with God, the less we're probably going to question if this opportunity is from him or not. That's really how that works. As you move away from God, though, if you backslide then you start questioning things because you're just not sure, right? So, I, you know, this might sound a little harsh, but for a Christian, I think indecision and waffling about what you're going to do, there are signs of either a lack of faith or a lack of fear. I'm sorry, lack of faith or of fear. So you either don't have the faith to do it or you're afraid to do it. And in the world, the way a lot of people deal with decision-making is, you know, you've probably seen this, they'll like take a piece of paper and they'll put, you know, the pros and the cons, the positives and the negatives, those sorts of things. And then they'll write down how many pros and how many cons, what are the positives, what are the negatives, and then whichever column is longer, that's what they go with. That's not how we make decisions. That's not what we should be doing, right? Um, because that is, that is very deceptive. Because if I took some of the opportunities that God has given me and I put them on that, I wouldn't have done it. Because sometimes God gives us things that don't make sense to the world. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to the world. What matters is this is an opportunity for God and he's going to be with me while I do it. So, um, Bill Johnson said that the enemy likes to make the problems we face appear larger than the solutions we carry. Yeah. 
right? He wants to do like really big, big problem and you don't know what to do with it. When really the problem's like this and God is infinite, right? So he tries to distort how we view things. In, um, this is also in the Passion, but it's from Hebrews 10, 38. And it says, but if fear holds them back, my soul is not content with them. I don't think God likes for us to be afraid to do things. And we shouldn't. Because, you know, if my God be for me, who can be against me? Right? So we need to live a life that is focused on God's promises. And I think if you're doing that, if you're spending your time with him, you're focusing on his promises, then you might not even be noticing as much what the devil's trying to do. You know, he can't make headway with you if you're totally focused on God. Right. Yeah. So, um, let's go to Luke 5. Okay, so Luke 5, 1 through 11. And we know this story really well. This is Jesus calling the disciples. Now it came about while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. I probably didn't pronounce that right, sorry. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. He sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon, good old Peter, answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But it's your bidding, I'll put down the nets. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll do this. We will humor you. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help. They came, filled both of the boats, so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. So also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What an awesome opportunity. Right? And they could have turned it down. They could have said, You know, this is kind of weird. I've never had anybody do this before. I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. Mm, I don't know. But that's not at all what happened, right? They were given a rare opportunity. They got to spend the next few years with Jesus. You know? And that totally and radically changed their lives. You know, a lot of times we like to think, oh, I'm a Christian, it's okay. What you don't realize is Jesus was radical. Right? 
I mean, that, that's, that's kind of why they wanted to get rid of him. Because he was radical. He said radical things. He did radical things. And these disciples, these fishermen, not somebody trained in Jewish law, not someone with you know, university education, fishermen were given the opportunity to spend the next few years learning and being around Jesus and soaking up and getting, getting all kinds of opportunities that they would not have gotten if they were just out in their, their fishing boats, right? So they, they capitalized on that opportunity. And then, um, let's go, oh, sorry, I forgot, uh, Matthew 5. Let's look at another opportunity. Uh, Matthew 5, 24 to 28. Uh-oh, that doesn't seem right. Huh? That is not right. I'll just talk about it instead. Um, yeah, okay, well, it's really, it's about the parable of the talents. That's where I was trying to get to. And Pastor has talked about that so many times. I know we're all very, very familiar with it. So you got this rich guy who's leaving and he has three servants. And he gives differing amounts to each one and basically says, you know, make, invest this, make some money. When I come back, I'm gonna see what you've done. So the first guy who has the most, he does really well. 25-24. Ah, that's where I messed up. Thank you. Uh, I left off a letter. Pastor's not the only one. Okay, so the first one did well, and the second one did well, and they said they got rewards, right? But then we get down to this last guy. And in verse 24, it says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you can have what's yours. So God admitted, I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to do it, but I didn't get rid of it. I didn't lose it. So here you go. I hid it in the ground. Here you go. And how did the master take this? No, not very well, because this is not what he had asked him to do, right? So these three men were given opportunities. Two of them excelled at their opportunity. The third did not. So unlike Peter and the fisherman in this parable, we had one person who was afraid and did not take advantage of the opportunity. And because of that, he got punished, right? So, yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about somebody who's more modern. It's R.G. Letourneau. I know Pastor has mentioned him before. And somebody gave me um, a copy of this book a few years ago. It's Mover of Men and Mountains. And R.G. Letourneau is pretty famous in Christian circles. He was someone who built a company that made humongous earth-moving equipment. So it's like, I think there's a place over here that like rents 
earth moving equipment. Oh, it's nothing compared to what he built. These were huge, huge things. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he lived in the first part of, well, the first half of the 20th century. I think he, well, he might have died in the 70s. I don't know. But anyway, that's when he was doing most of his stuff, was um, the early part of the 20th century. <clears throat> and he was really upfront about the fact that he felt like he needed to do something for God when he was young. And he was married, and he went to his pastor and said, I, I feel like I need to do something for God. Does that mean I have to be a missionary? And so they prayed about it, and his pastor told him something that stuck with him the rest of his life, which was, God needs Christian businessmen, too. And he said, I can do that. Amen. So he became a Christian businessman. And he, um, he was really upfront about the fact that a lot of these designs, he designed all that equipment. He did not have an engineering degree. He had been a simple mechanic. And so these people, I mean, these ideas that he had, he said they came from God. So I just wanted to read you something um, out of his book that I think I have saved here somewhere. OK, yeah, he had been working on this problem that they had with their scraper. I don't know anything about that. It doesn't matter. Um, but he had been working for days trying to come up with a design to solve a problem on it. And so he, um, he told his, his engineers and the people at his factory to hold off because he would have something for them the next day. So he was just planning to work all night. I don't remember that I ate anything that evening, but I do remember it was shortly after 7 p.m. that Evelyn, that's his wife, came into the parlor I had turned into my drafting room. You haven't forgotten it's your evening to take charge of the, the penal mission, have you? She asked. That was a place, it was eventually a lot of those Jews were taken over by the Salvation Army. Forgotten it? I'd forgotten everything except a tangle of sheaves and tables and a steel apron that wouldn't work. Well, somebody else will have to take it, I said. Evelyn, I've got to sit right here or the boys won't have any work in the morning. I can't spare a minute. She didn't say anything, so automatically I knew I was wrong. Yeah. A half hour went by, and the idea that had been almost within my grasp was now clear out of sight. The only thing that came to mind were the words, and you were the one who promised to put the kingdom of heaven first. Mm. I put down my pencil. I had learned the folly of putting my own problems ahead of the Lord's work. I went down to the mission, an indoor meeting that night, and it was something. Young voices singing, the likes of which you've never heard. I could see it reaching the wine-fogged minds of some of our derelicts. It must have been acting upon me even more powerfully. My only task that evening was to be there as the supervisor and introduce the young man who was the speaker of the evening. After that, I just had to sit there and let what was happening to me happen. I don't know what it was, but I knew that it was something beyond daily experience. I returned home shortly before midnight. There didn't seem to be much point in taking up my pencil again. I was tired and drained of strength, but I felt the urge to draw. So I went into my drafting room and turned on the lights. It was an odd sort of thing I drew. In fact, it was a tangle of sheaves and cables, with the sheaves pivoting every which way, and the cables weaving through them as though they were going to tie themselves into a net. 
I spent the rest of the night developing the plans in detail, and the boys went to work on them in the morning. Long after the new sheave system was in successful operation, my engineers were still trying to figure out why. He put God first. He sought first the kingdom. He went and did that. And while he was there, God dropped it into him. God gives us amazing, witty ideas and opportunities. And so that became the staple of one of the big things that he developed. Yeah. Um, and interesting, God built um, Letourneau's company with him. And that was in like the, the 20s and the 30s. By the time World War II came along, he, his company actually provided 70% of the earth moving equipment and the engineering vehicles used in World War II. Whoa. So do you think that God was preparing him for something? Yeah. I think he was. In fact, they built so much equipment for the government, they, were, they had things that were sitting in boxes that didn't even get unboxed after World War II that they had provided for the military. So you see the things that the CBs built and stuff? A lot of that it was built with Letourneau equipment. So cool, right? God gave him amazing opportunity. I know. So if, and he was just a simple mechanic. And God raised him up, and he became a millionaire. So yeah. Um, so I want to talk about three opportunities, things that opportunities can do for us. And the first is that it can lead us where God wants us to go. Now, was that the case with Letourneau? I think so. You know, he gave him a lot of opportunities along the way. When he got stuck on trying to engineer something, a lot of times he would either go to sleep or he would pray about it and then the idea would come and the solution would be there. So, and he built it, his company where it needed to be. And you think about the disciples, right? I mean, once they became Jesus' disciples, they had a lot of opportunities to experience things and to take the lead in things. I mean, he sent them out to go heal people, right? And they came back all excited and said, yeah, you know, we did that. Um, they learned from his parables because Jesus didn't always explain that to your average person. But being part of his inner circle there as a disciple, you got extra opportunity, right? Um, and this prepared them for when he returned to heaven because of the opportunities that they had along the way, they had made a steady progression to where they needed to be. And this happens in modern times too. I'm going to share a story with you that I don't know that I've actually shared with anybody other than Barry here. Um, everybody knows that I used to be a newspaper reporter and editor. And I did that for a while. And it's easy to get burned out on that because you work all the time. You see a lot of things. And so I had kind of moved out of that. And I was trying to make a living actually doing um, freelance writing. And there's a lot of talk these days about the gig economy, but I don't know how it is now, but back then with the freelance writing, you may or may not get paid on a timely basis. And the reason is the stuff that I was doing, I didn't get paid until it got published. 
And, you know, sometimes there might be a lead time of three weeks. It could be three months if it was for a magazine. And so you might not get that check for three months or so. And I discovered that Alabama Power likes to be paid regularly. Oh. Yeah. yeah, they do. So I knew this wasn't a, what I was going to end up doing. But in the back of my mind, I kept going back to this idea that I really wanted to do TV. Not like in front of the camera, but TV news. But I didn't know anything about TV. I hadn't had any classes when I was in college about TV. I had never, I had never done anything with a TV station. And so I just kept feeling like I needed to do something. And so one day I just picked up the phone and I called the first station in the phone book, which was actually the newest station in the market, which is ABC 3340. And I called and I talked to the woman at the front who I later learned her name was Marilyn. And I just explained, this is what I've done and I wanna to talk to somebody who's in charge of your newsroom. And she said, well, that would be the news director. And she told me his name and I said, is he in? And she said, yeah, who's calling? So I went through the whole spiel with her and she said, hold on. And she connected me with him, which I didn't really expect. You know, I mean, it's like you got this strange person on the other end of the phone. Doesn't make any sense. Okay. So she connected me with him. And I told him what I was doing and how I really didn't know enough to know what I wanted to do in TV because I didn't know anything about TV. And he said, okay, well, we have, um, we have a planning meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning every morning for our shows, our daily shows. Come in here at 8 o'clock in the morning and you can be in the meeting and you can hang out at the station today, tomorrow. I said, sure, love it. So I went. Figured out where it was, too. I didn't even know where the station was. Um, so I went, and I went through the planning meeting, and then they let me ride along with a photographer and a reporter. So I watched them pick up some B-roll, get some bites, and do stand-up, that sort of stuff. Got back to the station that afternoon, and so the news director came up to me, and he said, so how did it go today? And I said, it was great. I love being out, but I wasn't at the station, so I don't know what you do here. And he said, okay, that's fine. You can come back tomorrow. Two weeks. I did that for two weeks. Wow. I figured at the end of two weeks, I needed to, I needed to wind it up because people were looking at me going, who are you and why are you here? Because nobody knew who I was other than Gary. But for the two weeks that I was there, I realized what I wanted to do was to be a producer. And the producer schedules all of, well, just basically decides what's going to be in the news show, writes a lot of it, coordinates with the people who are out doing things. And so while I was there for that two weeks, I had to teach myself to write broadcast because I'd never written broadcast at all. And it's very different from writing for print. So while I was there, I made friends with a couple of the producers who occasionally would slide me a story. A couple of my stories actually got used. So after the two weeks, I knew they had a position open that was part of the time on the assignment desk and part of the time as an assistant producer. So I put all my, my little scripts in this envelope, I included my application for the job, and I slid it under the news director's door. And I got the job. That was an opportunity. If I hadn't called, I would never have known. 
And I, I, to this day, I really, really appreciate him giving me the opportunity to do that. And eventually, I became the producer for all of the shows on the weekend, plus one during the week. Um, but here's where it led me. While I was there, they asked me to be in charge of the interns, because nobody else wanted to deal with them. I loved working with the interns. Bright, super wonderful college kids. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to go to grad school. I can go to grad school, and maybe I could teach. So I applied at Alabama and was accepted, drove back and forth for my master's work, and um, then moved down here for my PhD work. That got me to Alabama where I met Barry, because we were in classes together. But that is not ultimately, I don't think, one of the main reasons that I got that job. That job led me to Alabama, to Barry, which led me to this church. It led me here. And I think that that was also one of the really important reasons for me to have that job. That opportunity came up. Because I had been in a number of churches. And, you know, I had questions, and most of the time the ministers and the pastors would just say, you know, they just kind of blow you off. I had a minister sit in my living room and I asked him questions and he said, I don't know, I can't answer your questions. That's not what you want to hear. So I started coming and um, coming to the services with um, Pastor Michael and Deborah Billings, or Debbie Billings, and I didn't have to ask him questions because a lot of them became answered when I was just listening to what he was saying. So those opportunities, I said, they can lead you to where God wants you to be. That opportunity led me here. And that has made a humongous difference in my life. You know, it has, it has opened a lot of doors for me. But also, spiritually, I've grown so much since coming here. And I think that was one of the reasons for that opportunity. I gotta speed up a little bit. Um, number two, opportunities can provide a boost to propel us forward through our testimonies. So if you take advantage of an opportunity and you do something, it often provides a testimony. And I think testimonies are one of the most powerful and empowering things that we can do as Christians. And I'm so happy that we make a time for that here at the church and that we, we share testimonies and we also, you know, a lot of times we even look at historical testimonies because those things really encourage you. Um, and they help you to become more bold. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've had opportunities before that I kind of passed on. And I always regret it. And sometimes when I'm running, you know, I, I share this, I, when I'm running, sometimes I'll stop and I'll pray for people. But you know what? Sometimes I run past them, and then it's like, oh, I need to go back. And so then I'll go back. And then I'll pray for them. So sometimes it's hard for all of us, myself included, to take advantage of the opportunities that are before us. Because sometimes... 
we're afraid. Sometimes it just, you're like, I just don't know how this person is going to take me. But you know what? In all the times I've offered to pray for people, I've only been turned down once. And that was somebody I worked with. So I went down the hall and prayed for him. He just didn't know. <laughs> but you know, it, but sometimes those testimonies, and you do it, in, if you pray for somebody, it's going to make you more bold the next time. Right? That opportunity provided a little bit of boost to move you forward, right? To propel you. Um, and a lot of people talk about R.G. Letourneau and, and how you know, he lived on 10% of what he made and he gave 90% to God. But what they don't talk to you about is when he was early in his business, there was a year, and I think this might have actually been during the Depression or right around it, he had a year, the first year that he turned a profit, it was like $34,000. Back then, that was a lot of money. And so he looked at it and he said, well, Lord, I'm going to use this to put back in the company and I'm going to, I'm going to pay you next year. The next year, he lost about $34,000. He learned from that. Like, no, you give to God first. Right. You don't delay. And so he learned that you always take the opportunity to give to God. And that eventually allowed him to get to the point where he could live on 10% and give God 90%. Wow. So, yeah. Okay, um, number three. Opportunities assure us that God loves us and that he's giving these opportunities as gifts because he's a good father. You know? And... The thing is, he tailors these opportunities for each of us. As I said earlier, yours might look different from mine. But he's tailoring that for us. Um, there was a picture recently from a, a scrimmage, from a Kentucky basketball scrimmage. And there was a dad who was there, and he had his son with him. And this dad worked in the coal mine. And because he got off late, he didn't have time to come home and clean up. So he was still in his outfit from work. He had black stuff, coal dust all over his face and hands. And that picture went viral because people were like, this is a good dad. Because he didn't want his son to miss out on the opportunity to go to his first Kentucky football, uh, bas basketball game. This is basketball. The Kentucky coach saw that. The Kentucky coach's dad had worked in the mines, and it really resonated with him. And so he made an opportunity for them to actually go to a real Kentucky basketball game, not just the scrimmage, for his whole family to come. And it, people looked at that, and they said, oh, this is a good dad. And I thought, yeah, that is a good dad. Because, you know, he put his son's needs first. But you know what? Our dad's even better. Yes. I mean, he is better. Think, think what he does for us. Think how he arranges things for us. How he makes our, you know, every point in our lives move us forward. I mean, it's amazing how much he loves us. And, you know, those disciples, all of them were given the opportunity to walk on the water. 
Jesus didn't say, only Peter can come. No. He said, come. And Peter was the only one who took that advantage. He took that opportunity. Um, and that was a gift. I mean, no one else ever, ever has been able to walk on water. You know? What a gift that was. An opportunity. So... I think that opportunities that he sends to us are, are ways that he shows us how much he loves us. When I moved to Tuscaloosa, I rented a house that later got blown away in the tornado. Um, but I had a really nice porch. The house was so-so, but it had a nice porch. And so I bought this swing, a wooden swing, with multiple parts. It had to be put together. And I was going to put it on my porch. And so I got all these pieces out of the box, and I arranged them, and I started putting them together. And then I realized this doesn't look the way it's supposed to look because I am not Mr. Mechanical. And so I didn't know what to do about it. And for some reason, I decided I want to call Barry. I don't even, we weren't dating or anything at the time. I just knew him from class. And I just said, Do you know how to put things together? That is such an understatement. He is a master at this. I mean, to him, these are puzzles that should be put together. So he said, sure. And so I said, I got this swing, and I, I, I've done something wrong. So he came over, and he had to take it all apart and start over again. But I made him dinner for putting my swing together. So I felt like it was a win-win situation there, right? But it was an opportunity that I provided to him to come help me. And he did. And now he spent his entire life helping me. <laughs> but I learned I don't buy things that come in multiple pieces and put them together. I don't do that. Not unless he's going to do it for me. But you know, even if we fail, it's OK. It's OK. Some people, and I am the worst, because people who know me know I am a perfectionist. And I, I don't say that with any, any pride at all. I'm sorry. I, I am. I'm just a perfectionist. And I don't, I don't give myself any room to fail. And that's wrong. Yeah. And I'm just stupidly hard on myself when I do fail. And that's wrong. And I shouldn't be that way. Because that's not how God wants me to be. And, you know, I'm not choosing to be happy. I'm choosing to be angry with myself. But failure is okay because God will send you more opportunities. Especially if you go to him and say, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And I've done that many times in my life. And that might mean it takes a little longer to get where you're going because he has to you know, send another opportunity your way. But it's okay if you fail. There is no penalty for failing. In fact, in, in the Passion, in Psalm 62, it actually says, there's no risk of failure with God. I mean, what a safety net we have, right? There's no risk of failure with God. Ah, oh, come on, what a great God we serve. You know, He is alive and well. And he is doing everything that he can 
to help us move to where we need to be. And he knows that sometimes we're going to mess up. But if we go to him and we say, hey, I messed up, and he forgives us, you know what? He doesn't remember it anymore. It's like it never happened. So he sends us another opportunity. I just love him. And I read this quote recently, and it says, at the end of our lives, we won't regret the mistakes we made nearly as much as the opportunities we missed. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. We won't regret the mistakes we made nearly as much as the opportunities we missed. So, you know, I said earlier, I think we're in a season of opportunities. So let's not miss the opportunities that are coming our way. Because we live in a special time. And we have special opportunities that people have never had before. So I encourage you to look for the ways that God is actually blessing you with opportunities. Don't be afraid of them. Just do them. And if you fail, it's okay. It's okay. God is not going to punish you. In fact, he's going to say, that's fine. I'll just send you another one. But if you do take advantage of that opportunity, just know it's going to, these opportunities are going to get you to where you need to be. They're going to propel you forward with your testimonies. And it's just going to reassure you that God loves you and he is a good father. Yes. So. All right. Well, let's, let's have a little prayer before we, we dismiss today. Father, I just come to you today and I say, you are a good, good father. And we just thank you for the opportunities that you're providing for us. And we know that these are gifts from you. And we just thank you, Lord, that when we, when we do these things, that we're not by ourselves. You're always with us because you never leave us. We thank you for your love and your mercy, your forgiveness, your understanding. And we just love you. And we just come to you today and just thank you for who you are. And we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And we give you all the glory and the honor. Amen. Amen. Amen.